This is Robert from Twin Peaks, and you're listening to Inspirado Projecto. Got a light? Thank you so much, Rob Broski, the woodsman from Twin Peaks Season 3. Today is Monday, <clears throat> Monday the 11th of January, March, April. Um, I heard there's some good stuff going on in May, some very good stuff, perfect times for writers, for, for creators to really dive in there, really start working on some, some great stuff. Um, all right, this episode is in fact the second part of the riveting episodic series. We have one more after this, so stay tuned for that. We also have a previous one to this. This is going to contain Martin Schmidt and Cristo Rapolo uh, from my interview of when Yachtly Crew was at the Golden State Theater in Monterey when we played out there. And these two guys are very passionate about what they have learned. Uh, Martin Schmidt is instrumental with his buddy Gary Parks in restoring the Golden State Theater. So if you ever go there, you ever you ever go inside of that place and you look at all the beautiful colors and all of that, you feel like, whoa, this thing is really vibrant. It's really talking to me. That is thanks to Martin Schmidt. And you will hear the process that he went through in creating this. In this particular episode, he's talking about the miniature version of the Golden State Theater that he has, in fact, built uh, and is inside when you go right there in the lobby right there. He and his buddy Gary Parks uh, took a whole bunch of old photos. You'll hear the, you'll hear the process. Also, we have, we have uh, an interview with Cristo Rapolo. This man is the subject of three different documentaries about UFOs. One called, first one called The Curse of the Man Who Sees UFOs. Uh, second one is The Man Who Sees UFOs. And then the third one, I do not know the title of. However, his buddy Giancarlo was there with his son to record some of our interviews. So I might end up actually in the third documentary, which I'd, be, I'd feel so honored to be a part of. Um, any UFO documentary, and particularly one where Cristo Rapolo is featured. Um, just a fascinating guy. He's going to tell you all about his UFO experiences. And, you know, we, we talked right there in the Golden State Theater, right there in the balcony, top balcony, in his favorite seat, which I believe is 217. I believe it's 217. Um, something tells me that. Um, I'll, I'll find out. I'll find out. So that was his seat that he always sat in whenever he saw movies at the Golden State Theater. So I've been very fortunate to interview both of these guys on the same night during this time. And it's thanks to Cowboy, the production manager there, who let me in early, let me take a look around and badgered him with questions like crazy about paranormal activity. That's the other thing. Martin Schmidt is going to talk about the paranormal activity there at the Golden State Theater in Monterey. So, um... Oh, we also have, by the way, we have Maria Humphreys from Strong Body, Strong Soul. We also have fun facts from Henry D. Horse. We also have uh, a question from Man Behind the Machine podcast. We also have sweet Miss Ruby Tuesday, the only woman to ever pin Andy Kaufman twice. The evidence of which is on her YouTube channel. You can check this, the show description right there and you can see tons of Tons of links I've embedded in there. So, 
Oh, and thanks to Blythe Baines at the end for uh, for giving us our our sign off on this program. Singer singer songwriter, very talented, loves the synchronicities. Uh, and then you know if you stick around. You can listen to the Face Palm theme song created by yours truly, Kurt Eric Clendenin. Thank you so much for listening to Inspirato Projecto. And uh, I think what we're going to do here is is uh, take a gander at what Maria Humphreys has to say. All right? Thank you. One more little idea, little observation before I continue with the message talk. Kurt, on the Anchor platform, when I click your link and try to listen to your show, it's stopping at about 30 seconds and I have to push play. I have to keep pushing play to make your show flow correctly when I'm listening within the Anchor platform. I don't know what the heck that is all about, but may I, may I recommend listeners out here, Let Kurt know somehow, whether a message in, or maybe you want to respond on one of his posts on Twitter or Instagram. Say, hey, Kurt, I listened to your show. I'm listening through Podbean, through CastBox, through so many different platforms. Apple Podcast is one of my favorites because you can leave reviews there. Thank you so much, Maria Humphreys from Strong Body, Strong Soul Podcast. I am actually going to send... Anchor a message right now. You know how I'm doing that. This is for any of you. Well, for you who's listening who happens to have Anchor, you probably know this, or maybe you want to, um, uh, maybe you want to get a podcast and you're wondering, what, ha- what do I do if I'm in this situation? Um, you go to anchor.fm. Let's see. Here we go. All right. And help. There's a little button down there. Whoop. All the way at the bottom. Bamzo. Bamzo. Submit a request. See that? Get in touch with us. Choose your issue. Anchor support request. You put your email address in there. Podcast URL. So I am going to... Email them right now and let them know that. Thank you so much, Maria. And yes, if you're listening to this show through any one of these apps, all apps, I've been like a junkyard dog making absolute certain that this is an as many apps as possible. Uh, I feverishly, <laughs> I feverishly um, look through DuckDuckGo for the most recent places that allow for RSS feeds and for places that enable you to submit your podcast for them to include in their podcast apps and or directories. So thank you for those suggestions, Maria. And by the way, please go visit Maria's podcast, Strong by Strong Soul. She is, like I've, I've talked about in the last episode, she's like a squid. She's got her tentacles in so many different things. The videos, the uh, she's making so many promos on Instagram, on Twitter, she's out there all the time interviewing people, fascinating people. She also runs the podcast community support group on Facebook. Uh, and it's a wonderful way for you to meet other podcasters and share ideas and 
Let each other know what you're up to. Maybe if you're looking for guests, that's a perfect place to look for it, you know? Think about this. Every person is a universe unto themselves. There is no way do you re- that you could ever possibly know everything about a person. If you spent your whole life just questioning one person about their life, could you imagine all the stories, all the intricate feelings associated associated with each of those stories and uh, how those affected them leading up to this moment in time? Tons, tons of stories, tons of stories. So, and stories that they've never told before. So, uh, Maria is great, great with finding people. And um, just remember, everybody has that potential of dynamic stuff. Every single person has that thing that is their thing. The person that loves to talk shop, you put that in quotes, talk shop about that specific thing. Whether it's their, um, their fascination with Pokemon cards, whether it's their fascination with collecting bird feeders, uh, maybe they have a fascination with swimming and they know all the different ways to swim, et cetera, and so forth. You could just go down that rabbit hole for days and days and days. You could ask a person what their favorite books are and find out, oh, you know, just one book at a time, finding out what is it about this book that they love. Okay, now why? Let's go down that rabbit hole. You can just keep going and going. So um, there's never a shortage of guests for a podcast episode. I find people on Twitter all the time, people who are, are, are talking about something they're excited about. These are the people you want to talk to, the people who are excited about things, sharing the excitement. I feel like that's truly the root of, of interviewing people for podcasts is to share excitement. Yes, everyone's got a story. Yes, everyone, there's something that, is, that people have gone through. It's the attitude about that thing and the lesson that came out of it and how it can help others when they too find themselves faced with that situation. Rather than letting the wall of trauma just, just it ends there, you know? Here's the story. Oh, more of the story is I had trauma. Well, okay, everybody has trauma. There's been a, some traumatic thing that everybody has experienced at some point. No matter how rich or poor, that there is... There, there are various definitions of trauma. And uh, th- it doesn't have to end at that wall. Like, you know, that's, that's the thing that's just simply, that means that we're not taking responsibility for how the way that we can choose to, to view things, to redefine things, to make us feel better about this very moment right now. I saw a great quote, something about, um, instead of carrying around the leaves and the branches of last year's fall, so to speak, meaning yesterday's memories, last year's memories, childhood memories, instead of dragging that around, what about the sprouting of the brand new stuff? Being fascinated with the brand new stuff that's right there in front of you. So I feel that when I interview people, I want to bring out the excitement. I want to uh, uh, remind the people that I'm, rem- that I'm interviewing of how magnificent they are, how multifaceted and infinite they are all of their hobbies, all of their excitements, all of that stuff. And I, and I want to offer them an opportunity to share that so then others who are listening to, to that, who resonate with that, can go, whoa, it turns on lights inside of them, or maybe they don't associate with that. However, they can associate with that idea. We can all associate with that idea of something that we want, something that we want to accomplish, a goal, a thing that we, you know, like, whoa, man, that'd be so cool. I'd love to go to, you know, Great America, Six Flags. I'd love to go to, you know, visit Gurney, Illinois, 
and go to Six Flags and ride the American Eagle. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. You know, we all have that thing we'd be excited about. Oh man, once my new favorite band, you know, releases their their next album. Oh man, it's going to be great. Right? We all have that. So, I like to I like to open that up for people when I'm interviewing them, and I believe Maria does that as well. She's so good with her meditations. She's so good with her person personality. Um I have my suspicions of Maria because I think that she's actually a time traveler. She's got that soft voice, the lullaby voice. Maria, you could actually read audiobooks, beds to, to go to sleep by, right? You could read these like dynamic books. Imagine reading like, ooh, wouldn't that be funny? I can imagine, Maria, you doing like math, math books and you just reading math books. That's an audiobook right there. <laughs> You could read each and every uh, uh, algebraic uh, proof and exercise. And, you know, one hour passes and someone's just out like a light. You know, listen to this if you want to go to sleep. Math lullabies. And it's Maria Humphreys. And maybe you get some, some really just, ooh, some smooth, maybe some xylophones in the back. Ooh. You know, kind of like a... Twin Peaks kind of thing. Maybe some soft synths back there. Ooh. I got the gears of turning. See? See, Maria? See how you inspire the populace? Listen to Maria. Oh, by the way, folks. Get ready. Get ready. We are going to listen to something magnificent coming up from your pal here, Henry D. Horse. Thanks for listening. Here's your fun fact. The world-famous Hollywood sign was put in place in 1923 by a real estate developer. Originally meant to stay in place for only 18 months to advertise properties, it originally read Hollywood Land. The sign remained in place long after it was intended to. And in 1949, the word land was removed. Stay tuned for... To Inspirato Projecto for more fun facts. Thank you so much, Henry D. Horace, for yet another extraordinary fun fact. I love, I love the fun facts. And in fact, Ruby Tuesday, the only woman to ever have pinned Andy Kaufman, she has some sentiments about these fun facts. However, you'll hear about those after this extraordinary interview with Martin Schmidt, the man who helped restore the Golden State Theater. Uh, we're going to be talking about the miniature version of that, how he went about it, the process. And we're going to hear about some paranormal activities from Martin Schmidt, among many other things. After that, guess what? We have a very riveting interview, part two, with Cristo Rapolo, the man who sees UFOs. Oh, my gosh. It, it, it's just, it just, it's a mind exploder. Stick around, stick around. It's going to be fun. Oh my God, no way. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Wow, Martin, this is great, man. Look at these. What the heck? See... 
Did you use your 3D printer at all for these? No. Or your 3D was, printer came out later? 3D printers didn't exist at that time. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, no, this were all, the patterns, as I say, were carved by hand out of jeweler's wax. Oh, that's what it was. That's Except right. for the, the columns here, this was a wood dowel that I very laboriously filed Whoa. into a spiral pattern. I drew Whoa. a spiral on it and then started with a little file and created that. Whoa. And the rest of these here. It's what you actually have a magnifying glass. Of course you do. Well, I'm 64 years old. My eyes aren't what they used to be. Oh my God. <coughs> oh wow. Oh I wow. I did make one compromise when it came to these pieces, which are called window brows in the, in the terminology. Um, in the actual building, these central shields were oh tilted down towards the sidewalk, which makes more sense when you're viewing it from below. But when oh you're viewing gosh. it from head on like this in a model, it would be, it would look a little strange. So I made them like that. Holy cow. I mean, this is incredible. You, you, you carry the magnifying glass with you. And here we are, able to, I mean, look at these little faces in here. Yeah, there's, there's little conquistador faces or something. We're not what sure the heck? They are. Those little tiny faces. Oh my gosh. This is so cool. Man, you know this is the mark of a. This is just the mark of genius. I got to tell you, man, because this this is. You know, like, yeah. Oh wow, the detail, the detail you've done here, man. What the heck? And they're all the exact same. I mean, it's like. Well, we made one of each piece. The kind of patience and then I, that I, you. I made molds of them and then cast multiples. From the uh, you did such a great well, job. My friend Gary Parks deserves a lot of the credit for for this fine detail. I did these pieces. I did these pieces. Wow. I mean, geez, and the Spanish man. tiles. I made those, and I made the eagles. Those. Oh yeah, and, I gotta get. Oh, let's see. Those eagles. And he did most of everything else. Oh, I, had, I made the little shields there. Oh, those are cool. But most of everything. Those are else, cool. Oh, and I made the urns. All these little urns. Oh, oh. I set up my Dremel so tool much to detail. be a tiny, tiny lathe. And I turned the urns in jeweler's wax on, this, on the Dremel tool. Whoa. So those are the few pieces I made, but the Holy bulk of the cow. work was done by Gary. You guys are a great team on this thing. Look at that, man. Oh, he's wonderful to work with. So how many of you guys did it take to, to, to put, I mean, most of to renovate was, all this stuff? Most of the model was me. Gary did the ornamentation, as I mentioned, but oh, everything yeah, else is, I there did. It is. It's all made of cardboard. This is foam core for the sidewalk. Oh my gosh. But most of everything else is cardboard. Look at that. I mean, these are sewing pins. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, I love that. The showplace of the peninsula. That was his original. Poem. I mean, that's great. Now, the other thing I did with this and I have to get around to finishing it one of these days. This is all prepped for lighting. Because behind you put these Spanish lighting tiles, yeah, oh my gosh. put LEDs on. Oh, that's great. Behind these Spanish tiles on the real building <clears throat> is this row of light bulb sockets. So this was all washed with light. These oh. urns had light behind them. Oh. Of course, the marquee was this blazing thing of light between all the light bulbs and the stained glass windows in the corners. Oh, my and gosh. These lit up. Look at that. You got the box office back box there. Office there. Ah, you got the... Posters on the walls. Oh my Gary gosh. Made those. Oh my gosh. We've got Clara Bow in It. Clara Bow in and, It. And uh, Rudolph Valentino in The Son of the Sheik. By Vilmi Banky. Oh my gosh. This is so cool. Wow, man. You did an excellent. 
those little faces look like. Oh yeah, what are those little faces? That's all Gary's work. You did, I mean, you guys did such an awesome job on this thing. Wow. I think Gary got a little frustrated that I was such a stickler for detail. Oh my God, but he must be so proud of himself after you guys created this. Yeah. I mean, he must, I mean, cause look put, at what. I put both our names on it. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Gosh, man. Do you be, is that part of your other um, profession? Do you build models and stuff? No, no, this is the only one I've ever done. So I can imagine um, being real good at making those, like, you know, for when they have trains and they got mm-hmm. the little towns and things. I can imagine being real good with that type of stuff. Yeah, it probably would be a lot of fun to do. Well, maybe once this, I retire. This must have been a great project to, so, to put yeah, together. You see, the, the case is about twice as deep as the display part. So mm. all the electronics are going to go back in, in the space back there. That is great. So you One had the One of the reasons it's deep is because of the ticket lobby. This, this open space, nowadays they call it the, I don't know what they call it, but its original term was the ticket lobby, because that's where the box office was. So, also, you know, it goes way back behind the rest of the facade, so the case had to be deep enough to accommodate that as well. Incredible. But the extra space is where the electronics are going to go. Wow. So one of these days, I have to take it home, which requires a truck to transport it, because my car won't do it. Oh my gosh. Um, and uh, put it on my workbench at home and start digging into the electronics and get it lit. Uh, because I never have finished that ingredient of it. And actually, when I started, they didn't have all the miniature LEDs that they have today. So I was going to have to use these tiny incandescent light bulbs, which would have been very hot. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's just as well I waited as long as I did, because now we have technology caught up with me, and I can do all kinds of incredible things. It's interesting how that stuff works. You know, you just give a little bit of time before you know it. Something else better is invented. It's like, okay, that's not going to melt anything. Nothing's going to start on fire or anything. Or you can fit them back there. Right. Boy. Miniature stuff is always just fascinating to me. It's just, oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Inside. So all those sewing pins are stuck into the styrofoam. Wow, man. That's what's holding them in place. Whoa, so eventually man. the styrofoam, of course, would come out. What the heck? Leave room for lighting. And all the pins would come out and be replaced by either fiber optics or tiny LEDs. So. This is oh, and so there's cool. Also, there's space there for floodlights, which there were originally floodlights on the marquee that would light like the center of the whoa whoa so you know it, yeah, that's the story behind that it ta- you know that kind of passion that you put into doing this and it's like those vibes are just stamped into this I mean this is like you know to me this is like the equivalent of having something in the Smithsonian you know like you this is here in this building you built this here for the future people in case they want to renovate some more, more stuff and make it look just like I it I hope they will someday man so here's a little detail for you, this little shield. Oh, that's cool. So it was made out of a piece of paper that I cut and then rolled up the curly cues and then put a drop of glue in the middle for that razor. Oh, part. my gosh. This is all, the balcony here is all balsa wood. Oh, this man. is a wire. What the heck? Coiled with pliers. What the heck? <clears throat> oh, and these are hollow, and they're built to be lit from behind. I can't do it from the front here. I have to open up the back, but... Uh, there, the, the idea is to put a light bulb in the middle and the light will shine up and blow. I'm not sure if that detail actually existed on the real building because I haven't been able to chisel into the wall to find if there's conduit there. But um, Incredible. I decided to put it on the model anyway because it would be a fantastic uh, little accent. Wow. I was joking with Cowboy earlier. We're like, you know, <laughs> he's like... He's like, we're all, he's like, the plot twist is we're all inside a Martin's, you know, miniature. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me button this up and then I'll tell you about that. Oh, yeah. If you look at the facade today, this is missing. 
during the oh. 1989 earthquake, that became detached from the building, and it was hanging by a couple of wires over the sidewalk. Whoa. And the city called up the owners of the United Artists, owned the theater at the time, and um, said, you have six hours to get that thing down before it falls on somebody. So they said, You're, we're, we're already on it. And oh uh, so they, they got a bucket truck or something, somehow or other, and they got up there, cut the thing loose, and took it down. And it didn't all come down in one piece either. Um, it, and then the manager of the theater took the original home, put it in his front lawn. So it was there for years and years. Finally, he passed away, and somebody else threw the eagle away. Oh. So I wanted to make a new one. So what I did was, well, fortunately, there's another one over here, although it's a mirror image, and that one's still there. Oh. And there's a building right across the street, which puts you at just about the right level. So I got the permission from the owner of that building to climb up on the roof with my camera. Awesome. photograph the remaining eagle. You've got to be kidding This me. is before digital photography, so I was doing this on film. I took it to a photo lab. I said, please print the negative reversed and blow it up as far as you can. So he did. He gave me this, like, 11 by 17 print or something. Whoa. Of it reversed. And I used that. I, I laid a clear piece of plastic over that, drew a grid on it. And used that to blow it up to full size. Of course, I was able to measure it because I just climbed up on the roof and stuck my tape measure on here. I could find out how big it was supposed to be. And I sculpted a new one out of clay and then made a urethane mold from that. Oh, my God. cast a new one, which is upstairs in an office. We can have a look at that later, hopefully. Whoa. Wow. So that is up there waiting to be reinstalled on the facade someday. Oh, my gosh. Thanks. There we go. It's a little sliding door. Yeah, watch your fingers. My dad built the case for me. Oh, that is great. And he's gone now, so it's a nice tribute to well, him. Well, I, I was going to say, this is a phenomenal tribute to him. Yep. Oh, my gosh. This is great, man. Thank you. And I'm sure anyone who comes in here, who went in here when they were a little kid, <laughs> you know, some of the older folks, I'm sure they're going to look at this and go, whoa, you know, and just really reminisce about it. Well, I was one of those little kids, not quite this far back. I was born in Monterey in 1958. Mm. Two blocks up the street at the old hospital. And I've been going to movies in here ever since I was a little kid. Now, back then, none of these colors existed. Because sometime in the 50s, the entire auditorium was spray-painted gray, and the lobby was spray-painted white. But this is what it looked like originally. What? the heck why would they spray paint over all this awesome who knows it's crazy yeah who knows so you when it was you, done you before the, i was before so I was you born. guys your your we group did of guys you did this yeah what we did was when i collected the photographs that i had um they were all in black and white of course but you could see where there was gold in the ornamentation you could mm. see where there are different values of gray which would indicate different colors so with the permission of united artists we started scraping paint in strategic spots we'd look at the photographs figure okay we have to scrape here 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 and here right because these look like different colors so we did that found out what the original colors were and the manager at the time paid for the paint out of his own pocket and we com- con- contributed the labor on a volunteer basis wow man. and it took years to do the whole building I can imagine. I mean, you guys must it took have just months spent just so to much do the lobby. We started at one end, worked our way across to the other, and then went up to the mezzanine and worked our way back again. It took weeks. Oh, man. And all this gold is spray paint because we couldn't find a brush paint that was bright enough that looked right. Whoa. So we had to mask everything. Whoa. It took like three hours to mask oh. one of these oh. windows. Oh, my gosh. Then you oh spray my gosh. 10 minutes and pull all the masking down. Oh, my gosh. 
And Whoa. we reproduced the gold glaze on the walls. Um, so this is the way the place looked originally. Wow. But imagine it all white, which had been done before I was born. So when oh. Walk, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had never seen it in person in these colors in my life. How amazing is that? That but you were the, you helped bring this back to what it was. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, people would not know. Yeah, I used to get here early for the movies because I love this building. It was the most magical place I'd ever seen. And... I used to get here early just so I could sit in the auditorium and look around at all the wonderful details. Uh, back then, they didn't have the lights in the ceiling. There were no lights in the ceiling because it's what's called an atmospheric theater. The ceiling is supposed to look like the sky. Oh. And you're an outdoors in a castle courtyard. Mm. So the lighting came from the alcoves in the walls. Oh, cool. The ceiling lights were put in when they triplexed the place in 1976 because they had to control the lighting in the three auditoriums independently. Mm. Um, and, of course, all the original lighting was all on the same circuits. Um, so they cut holes in the ceiling and put these can lights in. Wow, and those man. are still there to this day, and they're still used. Um, the original wiring in the walls is almost 100 years old, and a lot of it doesn't work anymore. It's going to have to be replaced in order to reproduce the original look. Holy cow. It's um, amazing that like your passion for getting the organ, finding the organ, <laughs> led to... All this other unexpected stuff it, that it just happened, huh? Because I had started on the project before we found the organ. Oh, oh, you did? Yeah. I, st- I found a few other people that thought the same way I did, but they had never really articulated it before. Um, nor for, you know, and they hadn't felt that way as long as I did because, you know, I grew up in this place. And most of them, well, the older folks had, but um, the, the young people that I gathered around me hadn't. So, um, I, yeah, I'm kind of the originator of the whole thing. I, I gathered enough people together and attracted enough volunteers. Oh, my and gosh. And then I had managed to collect these photographs, or most of them at that time, and I added a few more as time went on. Um, and so I went in to the, the I, we contacted United Artists. The folks from the district office in Fresno came out here, and I met with them one day, and I laid out my photographs on the table for them, and I said, this is what the place used to look like. You can see it was gold and colors here, and here was all black and white, but they got the idea. And I said, I've got a group of volunteers. If you'll buy the paint, we will do the labor, and we'd like to start restoring it for you. And, of course, nobody else had ever done anything like that for them before. But they were happy because it made their business better. And the manager, after we started doing this, the manager told me, uh, his name was Brad Johnson. As far as I know, he's still with United Artists. He's up in the Bay Area now. Um, Wonderful guy. But he told us at one point that the more golden colors started to appear, the more people started to notice the building again. Whoa. Because it was just, I think the reason they spray painted it to begin with was to not detract from the movie. Oh. Right? Interesting. So they figure, you know, the more the, more the building is a, a, of interest, the less people are going to pay attention to the movie, which isn't necessarily true. No, I think it's, uh, it's all, it's all the same. The whole thing is, it's is the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but who knows what their philosophy was? You know, it was ill-advised. It must have been kind was, of. But. I mean, looking at how this is now, and thinking yeah. back to when you were saying it just had all white, I can imagine it just being kind of bland. It looked like a mausoleum. You know, st- still cool. You could you know, see with how the beautiful it had been. Yes. Y- yet, just but I can't it imagine like walking like, into a mausoleum in a cemetery. I bet. I bet. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. Because as I'm looking around here, like I'm imagining how this, you know, all the just all this stuff, mm-hmm. just all the all the stair railings were painted black. Oh, the wood was still natural. But all the pillars were black, um, and the walls were white. Yeah, what no the trim, heck? No trim colors, anything. Just wow, man! Just devoid now, of uh, they personality. They had never touched the the part 
it's called the Grand Lobby, which is the two-story player out there. They had never touched that, um, although I have an interesting detail about that too. So the ceiling of that was intact, and fortunately they didn't paint over the big mural over the doors, because that would have been oh, hell man. and really oh, expensive to man. restore. That is a great um, mural out there. Speaking of murals, take a look at the tile murals over there. I've been looking at this. The amazing thing is they're not tile. Wow. Fooled me for years. Wow. They're painted on canvas. Wow. Take a good close look. That is amazing. Whoa, that does look like tiles. Wow. Was this a, is this a water fountain? It's a water fountain. Yeah, it doesn't work anymore, but... Man. Wow, man. In fact, obviously this is weak right there. You can see that they really, really cared about, you know, oh, yeah. the theater experience back in the days. Well, back you know? in those days, the f movies were in their infancy. There were still silent films, okay? Um, and the movies were only one part of the stage show. Mm. You would have a live show on stage, uh, sometimes vaudeville acts, maybe a magician, whatever happened to be on the touring circuit. Uh, and then the movie was kind of the cap on the evening. I never knew that. Oh, yeah. So it was. So it truly was a, a variety show. Yes. I mean, that's incredible. In fact, there was a fun thing. Now the, the footlights don't exist anymore, but they did when I started this. Uh, and one day, I decided to clean them out and see what was inside. And I found all these little artifacts that had been swept in there over the years. I have a few of them in a box at home. Um, I found little uh, a little red cardboard token from World War II, which was like a rationing token for either gasoline or something. I didn't know what it was. I had to take it to a historian and tell me what it was. Um, I found, let's see, what did I find? A 1925 penny. Uh, I found a whole bunch of feathers. And so I said, okay, these probably fell off dancing girls' costumes. Um, I found playing cards. Old, wow. dusty, filthy playing cards, so magicians had to be on the stage. Oh! Uh, I found a whole handful of 22 caliber expended shells. So they had trick shooters on stage. Oh my god! That would do all kinds of fancy trick shooting. Wow! Uh, yeah, so I just got a sort of inkling of the kinds of different acts, variety acts that had played here over the decades. Oh my god! So do you feel that? Cowboy, because one of the things that, like, as we've been playing in these old theaters, I always ask the, you know, the people who work there, are, they, are you noticing paranormal activities here? Have you come across any? Or yes. What do you know about? Yes, I can tell you quite a bit about that. Um, <clears throat> let's see, where to start? Got enough time on there? Oh, okay, so I have 15 minutes. Okay. Um, can you start a new? Uh, I can. Yeah, I can start a new okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, there's lots more. Uh, okay, so at one time, now I, I don't exactly know where to start the story, but we'll just jump into it. At one time, there were a total of six entities here. Oh. And we know this because one of the four storefronts at one point was rented by a self-proclaimed psychic lady who had seances oh. upstairs after hours. And uh, she told me at one point that she had contacted no fewer than six different entities in the building. This was independently corroborated by the boyfriend of one of the theater employees. I can't remember if she was the manager. And I think she's assistant manager. Um, and much to his own surprise, he didn't consider himself having any psychic abilities. But they were up in the projection booth one night after all the shows closing the theater down. 
he didn't work for the theater, but she did, and he just happened to be on keeping her company. I guess he was going to drive her home or something. Anyhow, so she's doing something or other in projection booth, and all of a sudden she hears him say, I can see them. And she was like, what? He said, I can see them. There's six or seven of them. Oh. And he could see these shadowy figures. He couldn't identify any of them. But he, apparently they all wanted, they realized that he could see them. They wanted to communicate. Oh, my gosh. So this was independently corroborated because the two people here didn't know each other. You can't ignore that stuff. I mean, that's something to pay attention to. So I've heard a few stories. Now, three of the entities I have had personal encounters with. Wow. Um, And I'll tell you a few of the stories that I've heard of things that I haven't experienced myself. Um, Now, the the same psychic lady that I told you about, after contacting them, she said that three of them apparently had some connection with the building during their lifetimes. Hmm. And they weren't necessarily troubled spirits, but they, did, they had so many fond memories here, they didn't want to leave. The other three, however, were very troubled. Um, I don't know if you could actually call them malevolent, but they were certainly angry, hate-filled. Mm-hmm. They did not have any connection with the theater in their lifetime, according to this lady. They took up residence here after their death. Now, at the time, as you recall, this place was used uh, by that point here again, we're talking the 50s and onward, exclusively for movies. Okay, Vaudeville stopped here in the mid-50s or so. Mm. So after that, it was exclusively movies. The stage was never used. The dressings under the stage were never used. Uh, the organ came out in 1954, so the original organ chambers were never used for anything. They were just empty. And the place was very quiet compared, in terms of human activity, compared to what it had been in the decades before. Okay. So it was, it was kind of slumbering, mm. and it was full of all these dark, quiet spaces that you can picture some troubled soul would want to take refuge in. And so apparently that's what happened with these three. Um, I heard that of the, the three benevolent spirits that had been connected with the theater in their lifetimes, I don't know who they were, I don't know what their relationship with the building was. One of them might have been a lady that performed here Mm. because uh, I have heard stories of people hearing singing coming from that stairwell. Amazing. And I haven't experienced that myself, but I've heard stories from numerous people. Um, The, uh, another one possibly was one of the managers the place had had. We're not sure exactly. We think it might have been the original manager of the theater when it opened in 1926. His name was Mark Keller. Mm. But we don't know for sure. Uh, And then the third one apparently is a little girl who likes to run up and down the stairs and play. Um, Now, have you noticed that there was more activity once you guys started doing the renovation? That's what I'm curious, if there's a connection there. Not specifically, but I can tell you the three encounters that I had were the troubled spirits. Oh. Who who had taken up residence in little used spaces of the building. Oh. One of them was on the third floor uh, space in the office block, which was just this big empty storeroom at that point. I can't even really call it a storeroom because nothing was stored there. Mm. There was a big workbench. It's where the maintenance guy had worked at the theater for many years and set up his workbench and tools, and he would take stuff up there to fix. Other than that, it was just this big open space that wasn't used for anything, and it had a couple of restrooms up there. It had originally been intended for you know whatever kind of space tenants might want to, commercial tenants might want to put it to, but had never been finished. One of the spirits took up residence there. Mm. And uh, every time I went up there, now I should add that the those three have those three troubled spirits have moved on. Well, they have moved on. Yes. But what did you feel when you walked in there? Was it hatred? 
resentment. So you could feel that right when you walked in there. Mm-hmm. Just said, yeah, that frequency coming. There in. was yeah, there was. I felt a presence that didn't want me there. They wanted to be left alone. So upstairs was where one of the spirits lived. Mm. A second one lived in the dressing room area. Oh, but it's no longer there. Uh, the same psychic lady that I was told you about, after she contacted them and found a little bit about them, she managed to persuade those three to move on to the light, as she put it. Uh, but the other three were happy, and they wanted to stay here. So as far as I know, they may still be here. But I've never heard or felt anything from them. Uh, you'd have to bring in someone who has more sensitivity than I. And perhaps so, you, I so, you. so your encounters was just that one when you walked the, in that room with, and no, you there just felt the, that? The three, the three oh, you felt th- troubled ones, yes. With there the was the one ones. upstairs, the one under the stage, and there was one that took up residence over the stage right organ chamber. Oh. House left side. And... Um, I'm not the only one who had experience with him. So yeah, the one, and try to keep them all straight here. So the one on the third floor, every time I walked up there, I felt this oppressive presence. Something didn't want me there. Whoa. Uh, and one time it actually chased me down into the second floor because it, it started to feel really oppressive what? and I was like, I have to get out of here. Like you felt like one it was closing was, in? Yes. And I could feel it, you know, like oh my in God. this area. And so I went downstairs to the second floor and it followed me. And so you, got, you just like felt it I at your to, back while you're uh-huh. going, huh? Yeah, exactly. And I had to get all the way across the, to the, the other end of the second floor and start down to the ground floor before it left me. Oh, so my that was gosh. Pretty and then oh, my gosh. There was one other, one other incident with that same spirit. Um, upstairs at that time, there was uh, a big sort of wheel of fortune mechanism that had been used on the stage many years before and for giveaways, you know, people mm. have drawings and on their ticket numbers and so on. And it wasn't commercially yeah, built. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what it was. It wasn't commercially built. It had been hand built by somebody. Um, but it was upstairs and there, one of our volunteers at that point was a lady who had kids at Monterey High School. And this is about graduation time one year. I can't remember what year it was. It would have been sometime in the 90s. And so they wanted, this is when they wanted to do sober graduation parties for the kids in the high school so they wouldn't go out and party and drink. Oh. And so they took the school gymnasium and they decorated it. They, every year they did a different theme. You mm. want to start a new... Uh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do that. Wowzers, thank you so much for sticking around and listening to Martin Schmidt. My gosh, isn't he a knowledgeable individual this guy chock full of knowledge holy cow i love listening to people who have uh, so much passion for what they're uh for what they investigate um speaking of which we have here a call in uh through the voice messages actually you could do the same thing i love as you know if i've talked about in the past i love participation i love participating with you so you can um go on to anchor.fm slash Inspirato Projecto and there's a button on there for voice messages. You can press the button and leave a message for me and then I I can weave it right into an episode. How cool is that? So, without further ado, and definitely without further ado, here is Ruby Tuesday, the only woman uh, who has ever pinned Andy Kaufman not once, but twice. (laughs) Hey, Kurt. I know, again, a late response. I just listened to your fun facts about Hollywoodland. 
<laughs> I was actually kind of already aware of what took place regarding uh, that sign in Hollywood, but uh, it was still fun to listen to. So <laughs> thank you for sending that my way. It gave me something fun to listen to. And um, I'm hoping to see the Yachtly crew here again in the near future. It's summer, so almost summer. Perhaps it's the kickoff to summer party coming up. I don't know. I just know, I hope you're doing great. And uh, thanks for sending me that little message regarding the Hollywood land sign. <laughs> Bye for now. Thank you so much, Ruby Tuesday. By the way, did you know that Ruby Tuesday's stage name was Red Snapper? That's right. Miss Ruby Tuesday's stage name was and is Red Snapper. Do not mess with this lady. <clears throat> She's a fireball, both inside the ring and out. She's got extraordinary YouTube videos. Um, very funny, wonderful personality. In fact, I had the opportunity of being in the room with her and the makers of Kaufman Lives movie, documentary, which I believe they're still at work on it, Ruby. I, th I think they're still at work on that movie. Um, where we got to interview friends and family of Miss Ruby Tuesday. And I am honored to say that Andy Kaufman, one of my heroes, who I learned so much from, um, his secret lover was Miss Ruby Tuesday. And I had the honor of interviewing her right there in her bedroom, talk about, all about Andy Kaufman. And so I'm proud to call her my friend. She's ex so fun, so exciting. I've seen her at many Yachtly Cruise shows, wonderful dancer. Um, get a ch if you get a chance, check out Miss Ruby Tuesday on YouTube. She's wonderful. Now, guess what? We're going to listen to part two of Cristo Rapolo talking about his encounters with UFOs. That's right. At the Golden State Theater, the same exact theater where I just interviewed Martin Schmidt right there in that piece. Um, all right, here we go. Hold on to your hats for some very enlightening conversation. Thank you for listening to Inspirato Projecto. And it's real handy. I mean, we have our own aircraft now set with cameras on the skin. Like some of the U-2 aircraft and what have you can photograph the sky above them and then project it on the skin below them. So that when you're mm. looking up, they just blend right into the sky and you don't see them at all. Incredible. If we can do that, I think something that, you know, flies around with a giant cube in it that looks like the box in Hellraiser or something. So when you go out there, do you, do you meditate? Do you get in a certain frequency? I do a meditate a little. What I, my meditation is basically I smoke a joint and I sit and I relax and I reflect on my life as much as I can, mm -hmm. you know, and I just kind of try to go into that place that you're, you know, like when you're daydreaming. Yeah. The daydreaming state is probably like one of the best meditative states to be in if you're going to, you know, be doing the UFO research. Because, That's like the state right when we wake up and right before we fall asleep. It's like that sort right. of in between. But, but it's also a time when you don't have any expectations. Mm -hmm. And that's when they like to come to you the most is when you have no expectations whatsoever. Like a that's, clean slate, right? Yeah. They like everything to be fresh. And um, they also, as far as I go, they like, to, like it to be playful. They like to escalate things. Sometimes it'll just start off with a couple of orbs and then it'll wind up being like 20 orbs. It's, they're oh, doing man. all these shapes. And there is, uh, you know, some folks that I, I would take to sightings for a long time. And, you know, 
It's it's very addictive, and you know. I bet. Hold on for one second here. Let me get this crazy. I'm a sound designer, and I make sure that you can answer the phone whenever it rings. If I've designed the ringer, I'm doing an interview right now. I'll talk to you soon. I'll. I'm not anywhere that I'm. I'm in a. Uh, the State Theater doing an interview. All right? Peace. So, go ahead. Um, so, well, for, well for, what I'm curious about is how did, how did you end up, how did, how, did, how did the other excitement about what you already knew about, for instance, I, I got to ask you, how, how did you find out about what he was doing? Or were, have you been friends with him for a while? John and I made uh, movies together. Yeah. Yeah, I did his first movie. Yeah. And then from then... Uh, I worked on a science fiction called Flesh Eaters, and then we did one called The Wooden Gate. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and, you know, it was fun making horror movies. That's what I loved. And so you've known him a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I mean, at what point did you, did you know throughout the whole time that he was oh, having yeah, these he, Oh, you, you did? The whole time he's been. So. <laughs> yeah. Anybody and then like, at some me. point you're like, okay, I got to document you, man. There's oh, just yeah. so much information you oh, got. Oh, many things happen. Yeah. Well, he's Even directing the third a, movie now. He's going to be the director. We did a shoot for the movie. One time we were in the forest and yeah. lights start to, uh, from the forest, where all lights coming, going all over. But we cannot figure out what it was. But we were filming and it was a, but we're not a light, you know, right. it's like totally no right. idea, you know. <laughs> so, and so you, was, was that, I mean, that explode uh, your brain when you got the chance oh, to I was see like, that for the first time? Because we were in the middle of the forest. There was like no way there can be lights, uh-huh. you know. And at one point we were filming and in the, like, let's say 100 feet in the background, in the middle of the trees, all lights were starting coming up. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, why? But <laughs> and you no must have just been chuckling. You're like, oh, yeah, this part for the course. No, he's I like know about always laughing. He... Yeah, wait, wait, wait. yeah, that's his answer. <laughs> is no, that it happened in the hospital when is I got it... out of a coma. I fell out of the bed. I was on the bed. And the orbs came in my hospital room. Oh, and my god! I tried to get up, and they pushed me back down again. And I tried to get up a second time. And when they pushed me down a second time, the door opened up and a nurse came in from the hospital and she's like, is that a fire on you? And I'm like, no, it's orb. And I try to get her to be quiet. So they went, like, they went out through the, it's not a fire. They went out through the window and, yeah. and she's like, is that a, was that a fire on you? And now Tink Lady comes in she's like, there are ghosts in this hospital. And she's like, you can't stay in this room. You gotta go to another room right now. And I'm like, okay, will you talk about it on camera? And she's like, no. <laughs> So, you know, there's that, too. There's a lot of Incredible. experiences. Like, I, for the third movie, John and I, I want to get, like, a lie detector test for the stuff yes. that I haven't been able to film. And then while I'm talking about it, just right there, hook me up to the lie detector test. Perfect. You know what I mean? Because that's why I did the thing with the scientist coming and sitting next to me, which, again... It just, it really surprised me that here I have a scientist. I'm just offering all this information. We had scientific data, like, hey, you, paper, you can... the whole thing. I'm ready to sit, listen to yeah. any Sift opinion. Sift through it, man. Show and me, instead you know. of asking the scientists a single question, they want to ask me, you know, questions that infer that maybe I'm help Happy Nelson or something. Well, why do you suppose they didn't ask you those specific questions? Because you know, the they want to keep questions. The, the first movie left it open-ended you know is Cristo out of his fucking mind oh, but or... the end of the movie is great because there there they are up there yeah. like the fact yeah. that that was captured yeah you know right yeah. there in the documentary is just but phenomenal. even with that evidence presented which all, people don't understand too in all both of the movies that I've released now all of that footage is vetted 
You know, I mean, I, I have scientist friends who do not want to have anything to do with a guy that's full of bullshit, you know? And so, like, I give them regularly my footage, you know, when I'm on a run and I've got a lot of UFO stuff coming and people are like, well, you're yeah, planes, all this stuff. I'm like, all right, here. Let me hand some more stuff over to Chris and let's see what he thinks. So it's interesting, especially in this day and age, especially now that the Pentagon has actually gone, oh yeah, we, we, we lied this whole time. We were lying about not investigating it, but here's the and real they're footage. they're acknowledging it, you, but then saying, we don't know what it is. Right, right. So they're hiding behind the truth. Trying to have it both ways, right? Right, you know, yeah. and I'm like, this is the reason that it's important for me to do this is because I'm presenting you updates and factual evidence you know, captured by moi. Okay, a couple of my other field researcher friends and people I respect, like, you know, uh, Steve Barone and Dorothy Azat. And, you know, Dorothy is like... Dorothy is so good. I saw that. By the time I saw the documentary, yeah. she had already, she had already I, passed. She had already like, passed. by the time it finally came, And I thought, man, I this is a short so documentary. I wanted to so go and do a site with her because she does the same thing. Flashlights, the mountain, you know, I'm like, oh, God, this is just a natural. They're just going out there with their Super 8 and capturing it all. And, you know, it's strange, too. All of us that do that, we all have the same kind of personal experience where we have to constantly deal with this, uh, you know, these people who want us to second-guess ourselves mm -hmm. or we're talking to demons or mm -hmm. um, this could open up the door to the end of the world. I've heard everything you can imagine. I have people call me at 5 o'clock in the morning to start saying prayers for me. You know, they're like, did you have a sighting tonight? I'm like, yeah, did you see UFOs? Yeah, I did. Okay, Jesus Christ, please forgive him for his sins. And, you know, uh, <laughs> you know. It's crazy because like, you can think... can I smoke a joint while you're praying for me? <laughs> can I smoke a joint? <laughs> well, it, it's crazy because you think this, this could lead to more of those conversations by... Because the Pentagon says, okay, we've seen this stuff, you'd think that that would open. I mean, I was hoping that, like, this would open up a door, especially when they said, oh, yeah, we've been in communication with the Galactic Federation right. for, you know, who knows how long. You'd figure that would open the door a little bit more for people to be able to empathize with those who have right. and are continuing to experience these kinds of things. Right, exactly. But you see, the thing is, they don't want it to be Cristo, okay? That's why I'm saying these orbs, when they showed up at that test place, that was years the movie had been on netflix for two years okay i've been doing the research for at least five to seven years or something like that tons of footage constantly showing people on a regular basis but because of the volume of footage and this free-flowing information between me and them immediately everybody perceives it as some kind of a scam right so <laughs> the movie comes out and it, it just kind of escalates and now instead of like being invited to a ufo convention so i can share with people there or anything it's absolutely top priority to keep cristo out of what the, the heck are those motivations it, the motivation is the same one that the government to me it has. feels like they are they know they and they're like afraid of the, someone who knows well they well. don't like the fact that it's me I, i've smoked pot i you know i've quit drinking for anybody who wants to know <laughs> two years now and uh i feel great but you know that i think was also a gift from the ufos when i had my experience in the hospital and i passed away and all that stuff you know and the orbs were in my you know, they're in my hospital room as soon as i wake up they're like here our, our play friend let's wake them up we got it yeah literally <laughs> you know? though within four months of that happening i quit drinking just like turned it off like a switch and uh it also helped that, you know, I'd been sprayed by a helicopter by the, uh, the uh, 
Air, the Marines, what do you call them? The Special Forces guys came over in a helicopter Where and were nailed you? Why did me they with a that? nerve agent. Because I was signaling UFOs over uh, here in Monterey, and there was a big, um, there was a, a cruise ship, you know, and that's like national security. Mm. And whenever anything like a cruise ship is in the bay, they'll dispatch helicopters and I all this stuff. Because if anybody tries to pull any shit on a boat, you know, it's like a, a like terrorist thing or any of mm. that. They even have cameras uh, at the aquarium and stuff. And instead of the cameras being there for research or something, they're there for national security. Oh, wow. So technically they sprayed me because I was a threat. And they don't have to announce themselves when they do that stuff either. I, so I they was just, just show up, they surprise you, and then they, well, they came spraying. up behind me with a helicopter. It was a regular standard military helicopter, and they flew over me, and they just gave me a little like that. And all of a sudden, my back was just soaked like, you know, like I'd been rained on or something. And so I immediately went down, because it smelled kind of gassy or what have you, and I went down to my car, and I took off my shirt, and within... An hour, I just started breaking out with a rash and blisters and hives everywhere. And I went through that for two and a half years. I had to go in a hyperbaric chamber. I actually died because of it. You know, I got to a point where I started bleeding and bled out all my blood, died in the hospital for 40 seconds. And then they went into a coma. They, well, they induced a coma and put me out for three days. And, and that was the thing that led yeah, you to, to, the orbs to having your death and then the, waking up with the orbs. In my hospital room. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. I mean, I feel like that you do have a relationship with them because they're like, where's no, our I buddy? Do. I do. Where's I, our buddy? We got to get him out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, got to wake him up. I, you know, like Dorothy, I, you know, I pray a lot. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I do believe in spirit and I believe that there is a higher power that, you know, has conjured all of this. And, you know, that consciousness is like the real spark of life. That is what everything is all about whether you know it's an alien or it's you know us or animals i believe too or anything that has consciousness like that mm -hmm. and shares that gift i think is a part of the the whole the bigger consciousness you know now, do, do you feel that the the uh the ufos or the extraterrestrials do do you feel a vibe from them that they that they appreciate no, yeah but oh. do you feel that they appreciate that you you've put out the documentaries about them to, yeah. to, for that's the what i was gonna say with, oh yeah with the thing is that they you know the whole deal of them showing up at those test places you know it's like six or seven years of them doing nothing with all that footage i put out netflix everything yeah so they're flying up alongside the window and they're saying hey i guess you guys don't subscribe to netflix but <laughs> you know here we are and yeah, he yeah. was right and that's what we look like and Oh they didn't gosh. even let the pilots show the footage that they had captured themselves. They made the, the uh, network do a digital recreation, which was kind of good because we compared it to my actual footage, and they're identical. Wow. Yeah. That's and, incredible. And uh, Chris was saying something like 50 meters, uh, just the cube inside of the, of the, uh, Whoa. the membrane. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's been like really uh well these are the guys from yachtly crew how you guys doing my my cameraman's son knew of you <laughs> oh you knew of us? he said you guys were a big deal i'm like okay <laughs> huh? like yacht rock yeah 
That's like the new genre now. It was soft rock, you know. But it's like Hall and Oates and Christopher I Cross. I like that. And... Hall and Oates played at my dad's wedding. That's oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, Sarah Smile. They played well. They were putting the ring on the finger at Dick Myers. He was the guy that was the head of uh, Jovan Fragrances. In Chicago, he had this apartment that was a brownstone that was right over the zoo, Lincoln Park, all that stuff, you know? Oh, and that's cool. Yeah. They were, they were like giving us a lecture about music, you know? So, anyway. Hall and Oates was giving you a lecture about music? Yeah, he's like telling me how it goes in the music business because Danny Marcos was a guy from Atlantic Records that managed a bunch of bands like the Rolling Stones. And, oh. Uh, my dad was good friends with him, and so yeah. Man, you've got such a, a a crazy history, man. Like yeah. that, honestly, you should have your own show on Netflix. Yeah, because the, like a se- I mean, a series. You've got so much footage. You've got such a rich history with so much stuff. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. We, now, we've had finding... a, we've been approached like probably about four or five times by networks. Oh, but I think the thing that terrifies them the most is that you know they know I can do this, mm-hmm. but they they. The idea of, you know, a show that might cost X amount of dollars to produce per episode based on this guy that's going to go out and wave some flashlights around and maybe make this thing happen, which it's not a maybe, but they don't understand that. I think people are underestimating It's hard for them to quantify a show like that, you know, I think. Um, but, you know, but, there are networks like Gaia that are out there, you know? So there, that's what's I, interesting. I, there are a lot of people out there who are yeah. believers and contactees and abductees and, you know, that would just love well, the, to the, see the, the, uh, the, the GoFund guys were, you know, they were poking fun at me. They're like, so why isn't everybody in the industry of UFOs clamoring to you? And I'm like, because they don't like me. It's real simple. The guy that's doing this stuff... Okay, on a regular basis that's giving this mountain of evidence is somebody that they personally don't care for. They don't care for the way I dress, my personal habits, nothing. The and they have no clue why these aliens would choose anybody even remotely like me, especially... Well, now I'm curious and maybe you have an implant hiding on you. Yeah. Right? Am I, it <laughs> I must know. be it. They Webby did find Strieber, an implant in my right? ankle, though. They did. They did find an implant yeah, in your ankle. in my ankle. Okay, here footage. we go. We you're... were going to put that in the second like, boop, movie. Boop, boop, boop. You know, no, you're calling them... two of them, actually. One was the size of, like, a silver dollar and the other was the size of a quarter. Were they and removed? I, yeah, they were. And, and yet actually, you still have them, have them showing up. No, the doctor, I have, he, he's still got them. Uh, they've done tests on them. It, they, they thought it was a fibroma, but they still haven't confirmed that it was a normal fibroma. And the syringe that they tried to push through, which would normally have pierced into a fibroma, uh, wouldn't go through there. And actually, it, it moved position when they were inserting it and went into my bone instead which is why I had uh, a bone infection afterwards. But it's interesting, after you got those... And I still have the hole from there in my ankle, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. That's incredible. Yeah. My buddy had found an implant in his foot, and he went to the doctor, and the doctor's like, oh, can we analyze this? He goes, no, I'm taking this home. Because I'll probably never see it again. picture of them opening my ankle up. I had them film the whole procedure, so it's like my entire ankle is splayed open with, you know all these uh, things holding it open on the surgery table. What do these things look like? They look like discs, like little UFOs, but they were in my ankle and it got so bad, they got so hooked to my bone that um, they had to use a laser to take them off of me. So, yeah, it was it was very interesting. And I still have the pictures of that too, of the 
gross. It was so graphic that it would have given us an NC-17 rating if we put it in. There was already enough of me talking about my butt and what I do with my butt all the time. <laughs> so that was about as much as they could take. We got right up against the <laughs> edge with butt talk. <laughs> NC-17 for massive butt talk all the time. But you, you, know? you must have... You must have magnetized a bunch of other UFO, you know, enthusiasts who... Yes, and people who were into the butt as well. <laughs> I'm serious. I couldn't believe it. But yeah, the, at first, though, because I wasn't... I didn't use any kind of social media at all. Nothing, mm. period. Nothing. Um, that was a real overwhelming thing because, you know, they expected me to start dialoguing with all these people that I didn't know. And... Um, that was overwhelming at first and it still is sometimes but now i've gotten it down to just i say happy birthday to everybody once a day welcome back now aren't you just isn't your head uh, just a little bit splattered upon the ceiling right now my goodness christo rapolo i tell you man this guy is so brave if you're listening to this christo you're very brave going on out there by yourself. Not, n- not, not in the sense that, uh, oh gosh, you're so brave to go, to go welcome your star family into your paradigm. I think it's brave that you're, you're sneaking over these walls into these top secret classified places to do it. That is phenomenal. This is the mark of a true artist, ladies and gentlemen, a true genius at work. Following your heart, following your passion, Going forward into that great night. Uh, just mind explosive. I am so honored that I got a chance to interview those guys. Now, next up, we have here Man from Man Behind the Machine podcast. Um, Atlas Dragon from Christor Inc. The Face Palm theme song by yours truly. And of course... Blythe Baines is going to see us out. So um, let's let's hear let's hear let's hear what's going on. Let's hear what's going on. Thanks for sticking around. Inspirato Projecto. I've been wanting to ask this for a long time. I want to put on the new episode on the Goonies too. Why is it that Steven Spielberg has recently said in public that there's going to be no Goonies 2 every time he gets together with his colleagues to discuss films that he should create? They talk about Goonies 2, but it doesn't get farther. Why can't they make it? You know, is it unrealistic? Is is it a fool's errand? Because Goonies is such a masterpiece. I've never asked you about Goonies, but I am very eager to hear about your thoughts about Goonies and why Goonies 2 won't and can't be made. Thank you, Inspirato, for inspiring me. Man Behind the Machine, visit us online and uh, we'll be in the metaverse soon. So we'll see you on the metaverse. Goonies 2 and the search for One Eyed Willie.
Thank you so much, Man Behind the Machine, for that extraordinary voice message. That is a voice message function. Should you decide, and I've said this earlier in, the, in this uh, episode, if you would like to contribute to this, if you'd like to participate in this variety show, uh, I would love to add your voice to this. I'd love to add your experiences to this. So you, of course, can press play on there. You got one minute. Or you can call the hotline, 561-203-9179. That is precisely what Atlas the Dragon from the Varels Bridge Society did with that, with that voice message. First, I'll answer. First, I'll say this to Man Behind the Machine. Man, man Behind the Machine, you know, we, we hear about these kinds of things over and over and over throughout all of the years. Uh, where it sounds like something's not going to happen, or, or or these directors, they deny things, or, you know, lots of NDAs are signed. Imagine how many extraordinary movies were put on shelves, NDAs signed, where people, nobody can talk about these things, and these things never get released based on whatever reasons the CEOs or what have you at the time, uh, you know, whatever their reasons are. Um, so it's crazy because... David Lynch does this a lot. He's like, no, 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 no plans for another Twin Peaks. No plans. Well, then guess what? Twin Peaks season three came out. No, no, no. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't have any ideas for any movies. You know, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, guess what? We hear that David Lynch might release a full secret hidden, you know, some secret feature film that he worked on, which may or may not be called Wisteria, which may or may not be Twin Peaks, a Twin Peaks movie which may or may not be any numbers of things uh, that will be, in fact, what did they say? Did they say it was uh, the Cannes Film Festival? That's usually where he releases this stuff. So this stuff happens all the time. And now, of course, once, once, once it really gets, you know, years and years down the line, um, so in other words, I would, I would not be surprised if, if Steven Spielberg and those guys already shot that movie. Um, you know, as things move and move down the line, move down the line, then you start thinking about the concepts of like, well, okay, they're old enough to have kids now. All right, now let's put the kids in there. Let's hand the torch to the kids. Uh, that's possible. Maybe it's going to be the kids, you know, going after some treasure and they end up finding out that, what is it, the Vitellis? The Vitellis? Is that what they're called? The... Um, maybe it'll be the sons and daughters of them. Maybe for the remaining living actors of those things, those people will still be involved. Will uh, Sloth still be involved? He had all that makeup, so it's possible you could give him this, the exact same makeup. I'm, maybe the same guy who played him is still alive. Um, like we've heard about this Top Gun movie. Has it already been shot? Will it be released? Um, is it one of those things where they're like, oh yeah, the sons and daughters now get together. There's always that kind of thing. Hand off the baton. You know, the Indiana Jones, the new Indiana Jones. Oh, hand off the baton. Give it to the new guy. So, you never know. You never know. I was quite suspicious lately when I saw David Lynch and Twin Peaks trending a lot. And I said, you know, I have a feeling. I'm a little suspicious about this. I have a feeling that maybe this this is just kind of planting the zeitgeist in our heads, getting us, getting us excited about Twin Peaks again, get us to talk about David Lynch again, re-watching Mulholland Drive, re-watching Lost Highway, et cetera, so forth, Inland Empire, Elephant Man, all that razzmatazz, uh, to get us excited about David Lynch in our brains again. And then is he going to release that, oh, by the way, I have a secret movie that's going to come out. 
And I joked about the idea that it was Ronnie Rocket. Ronnie Rocket is a movie that he's been meaning to make for a very long time. He has the screenplay written. I own the screenplay. One Saliva Bubble is another one. And uh, which Martin Short and, and, and Steve Martin were going to be a part of, by the way. Which, you know, since they're still alive, they still could do this movie. I don't see how they, how they could not raise this. I'm sure if you just went out there and said, hey, guess what? Dave Lynch, Martin Short, Steve Martin want to make a movie. Bam. Let's make it. Sure, they could. I'm sure they could raise money for it. So, I, I made a joke going, "Oh, what if David Lynch says that he's he's made Ronnie Rocket this whole time?" And then within a few days after me putting that on Twin Peaks, all of a sudden there was news saying, "Oh, guess what? David Lynch is going to pr- premiere a movie at at this place." Oh, I just saw the Raven fly past again just this morning i was thinking oh, i want to see those ravens again all of a sudden i saw the raven go whoosh, fly past me so there you go the raven what is that transformation shape-shifting the chapter turning um atlas the dragon from varel's bridge society by the way i interviewed corporal 13 from the varel's bridge society and they are in they're they're a part of the Christor inc Universe. Pharrell's Bridge Society has a podcast. Christor Inc., if you go to Christorinc.com, you can learn all about, all about it. And they have a section there specifically for Pharrell's Bridge Society. And I had the opportunity of interviewing, well, so I interviewed Corporal 13 from Pharrell's Bridge Society. However, I also interviewed Wiley Herman, the man who um, is you know, partially responsible for opening up the doors to these worlds, to these other realms that connect with the Jejun Institute world, the Latitude Society world. Uh, Chris Torch, by the way, um, they are the arch nemesis of Christor Inc. So you can research them too. C-R-Y-Z-T-O-R-C-H. There's so much good information there. Um, so having said that, I bid you adieu. You can stick around if you'd like. You can listen to, to the Facepalm theme song if you'd like. However, uh, I, w- I would stick around at least to, to hear Blythe Baines say goodbye to you. Thank you so much for listening to Inspirato Projecto. This is Blythe Baines, and you're listening to Inspirato Projecto. Christor can help. Christor is a handheld calcite defibrillator capable of generating surges and binary distress signals throughout the Sigma Quadrant. Christor is not for everyone. Some aquatic mammals have experienced dizziness and confusion while using Christor. Side effects do include blood glow, tear mist, and purpling of the skin and eyes. Tell your doctor if you are pregnant and have not had intercourse within the past 18 months, or if you are nursing and have no children of your own. Christor has not been approved for simians or micropachyderms. Ask your shaman if Christor is right for you. Isn't it your turn to bear the crystal? It's a face palm, a face palm, a balm of calm, like an a palm bomb. 
It's a face palm, a face palm, crumbly malm blow me alms, and how soon do you think you to do it again? It's a face palm, a face palm, here it come alms playing Brahms and prom, and how soon do you think you to do it again? And the horns from Guam, Guam to the cable comes. Are the grom rom diatoms glom in their moms? It's a face palm, a face palm. The book of psalms and rhymes and rums. And how soon do you think you'll do it again?